Hello everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Humanity is at crossroads. Much of it seems to be due to the ongoing power struggle between not only the political ideologies but also the geopolitics of the emerging technologies, impact of technology transformation, globalist versus nationalist, culture warriors, changing nature of religion and so much more. Unfortunately, the battle of ideas and ideologies are dividing not only citizens, but also countries and leading to the rapid rise of pessimism and intolerance. Furthermore, dual use technologies, the controlling communication power of the social media and the growing sources of information make it so difficult for the very few voices of reason that exist today and that needs to be heard. And that is a cause of great concern. One such voice, unique voice of reason, Professor Dr. John Torday is here on the Risk Roundup. Professor Torday, Risk Group Advisor, is a developmental physiologist from UCLA with a very strong interest in how and why physiology has evolved and how it is all interconnected with the physiological changes that we are seeing at all levels all across nations. Welcome, Professor Tarde. We are delighted to have your Risk Roundup and the Risk Group community, and I look forward to hearing your talk. The floor is yours. The title of this talk is Enlightenment 2.0. Enlightenment 1.0 began in the 17th century, um, uh, taking the form of the power of reason. It involved both the arts and science. The arts were advanced by the invention of the printing press. Science became a deductive practice instead of natural philosophy due to Roger Bacon formulating a means of testing hypotheses. Humanity has been the beneficiary of the enlightenment or age of reason up until the present. But the momentum of the enlightenment is waning due to headwinds of our own making for lack of predictive evidence for the meaning of life. Postmodernism has led to nihilistic thinking and action in the arts and lack of imagination has led to counterfactual thinking in science. Both biology and physics are now seen as probabilistic due to the binary way in which the scientific method is formulated as a yes, no answer. <laughs> Briefly, the binary causal way in which we do science as yes, no, should ultimately be formulated in a way that is consistent with our ontology or origins and epistemology or way of knowing. In my opinion, we need a holistic way of thinking about our existence as the basis for Enlightenment 2.0. Such a way of thinking based on the study of human development and the evolution of physiology as our history or memory are necessary for the process of evolution. In order to evolve, we must have a means for remembering our history in order to adapt. Waiting for Darwinian chance mutations is a guarantee of extinction. Instead, the stress of environmental change causes remodeling of existing physiologic traits through trial and error, giving rise to adaptation, or what Jacob referred to as tinkering in his landmark science article in 1977, though he had no mechanistic explanation for it. I have discovered it and, relate it, and will relate it briefly. And please bear in mind that everything I have, I'm about to relate is strictly based on scientific evidence, not speculation. So I'm talking about inductive reasoning, not deductive reasoning. Under stress conditions, blood pressure and blood flow increase. 
causing damage to cells, and as a result of shear stress, produce radical oxygen species. To repair damaged cells and restore the metabolic balance of homeostasis, cells communicate via soluble growth factors, referring all the way back to the origin of the cell as the first principles of physiology, uh, first declared in a publication by myself and Dr. Verinder Rayon in uh, 2009. The net result of this injury repair mechanism is what we refer to as evolution, which Darwin described as natural selection. But again, he didn't have the scientific knowledge to explain the underlying mechanism. So here I'm depicting uh, schematically what I'm talking about, what I was referring to in the previous slide. So on the far left, I'm depicting homeostasis um, as cells interacting with one another to remain at equipoise. And then if we move to the right, um, the shear stress mechanism causes this homeostasis and um, that leads to either uh, gene mutations or gene duplications. And as a result, um, the cells then will remodel to reestablish homeostasis, which I'm showing here on the far right, which we conventionally think of or refer to as evolution, but in fact is uh, a reestablishment of the homeostatic set point of these cells. Uh, reverse engineering the emergent steps in vertebrate evolution based on cell-cell communication Complex physiology, like the lung and other organs, has been traced back to the unicellular state based on Margulis's symbiogenesis, the assimilation of ex existential threats to form physiology. In the aggregate, physiology is the internalization of factors that must comply with the laws of nature, just like the co cosmos itself. The net result is the comp compliance of physiology with the cosmos, or what we perceive of as consciousness. Based on the above, the question arises as to uh, what symbiogenesis, uh, I'm sorry, I can't read that, <laughs> to what the uh, mechanism of symbiogenesis is referencing. Um, in other words, what preceded symbiogenesis, what gave rise to symbiogenesis. So based on Bayesian, a Bayesian approach, uh, given experimental evidence that gravity is the force that is necessary for life, as illustrated experimentally on the next slide. So in this uh, series of experiments, uh, differentiated cells were exposed on the far left to, to zero gravity um, and left to their own devices. And uh, what was uh, measured was the amount of parathyroid hormone-related protein mRNA, uh, messenger RNA. And as you can see, it falls fairly precipitously over about an eight hour period. And then it re uh, realizes a new baseline. And then if you put the cells back in one uh, unit gravity as expressed here as one times G, the cells will spontaneously revert back to their homeostatic state and will produce the amounts of PGHRP mRNA equivalent to those at the beginning of the experiment. So this is a demonstration of how gravity determines whether cells remain differentiated. And in fact, is the basis for how they differentiated in the first place under the influence of gravity. Einstein's field theory states that when gravity impinges on a curved surface, it generates energy. That energy is what fueled quantum entanglement for particles within the cell. That local gravitational effect 
is paired with the non-local force of gravity in the cosmos. The linkage between the local and non-local effects of gravity on cellular physiology is consciousness. According to Garnet Ord, a mathematician from Ryerson University, the linkage between quantum mechanics and Newtonian mechanics is time dilation. That is re referencing the effects of the speed of light on uh, the, as a determinant of, of time, uh, the relativity theory. The cell has the capacity to mimic the properties of the cosmos physiologically. The formation of the cell partitioning life from non-life or Bohm's implicate from his from explicate order as he expressed it in wholeness in the um, his wholeness and the implicate order uh, book published in 1980. A difference that was non-existent prior to the advent of life. That is, there was no difference between the implicate and explicate orders. There was just one vast nothing. So in other words, life is what defines what's significant in the cosmos. This model of life, like Einstein's definition of gravity, is more consistent with energy flow than with materialism. It is also consistent with the ancient Greek philosopher, uh, philosophy of Protagoras, who thought that of all things man, uh, I'm sorry, of all things, man is the measure. The position formulated above would have uh, have us understand that the cell is the measure. The above is also consistent with Alfred North Whitehead's process philosophy, which he stated in which he stated that life is energy flows, which sometimes produce a matter as an epiphenomenon. Hence, Enlightenment 2.0. So here I'm graphic, or I'm showing uh, in a, a narrative what I'm, I've been referring to, and that is. On the, far left, on the far left, we start with gravity. And that in, uh, generates through quantum mechanics, uh, the energy for the cell to maintain uh, its uh, equipoise. Um, and um, so now we're moving from the quantum mechanical to, the, to Newtonian mechanics mediated by the cell. And ontogeny and phylogeny, which I didn't show on the slide, but the, both the short-term developmental uh, timeline of the cell and also its uh, mechanism of speciation go into uh, the process of evolution. And our, the evolutionary process is under the influence of epigenetics, that is obtaining information from the environment. Underpinning all of this is what, um, as I referred to uh, Garnet Ord saying that the interface between quantum mechanics and Newtonian mechanics is time dilation or uh, relativity theory. So the cell is actually mediating um, the relative relationships between all of the factors within it. It has previously been shown that the atom and the cell are homologues. That is, they come from, from the same origin, as I expressed in a paper in 2018 entitled Quantum Mechanics Predicts Evolutionary Biology. Um, that is to say, the same origin being the Big Bang. And that symbiogenesis, and that symbiogenesis as internalization of physical factors underlies evolution. Therefore, we are of this cosmos, maintaining equipoise with the singularity that existed before the Big Bang through epigenetic inheritance, the capacity to det detect novelty in the environment which I'm referring to as Enlightenment 2.0. So I'm schematically showing here what I'm, uh, what I'm referring to as Enlightenment 
if you look at the very bottom, we have in the middle is the cell containing the history of the organism, including ontogeny and phylogeny. And on the left is quantum mechanics, which initiated the process. And on the right of the cell is Newtonian mechanics, the way in which the cell exists in what we think of as real-time real existence. And because the egg and sperm act as stem cells and can mediate the acquisition of new information from the environment through epigenetics, highlighted here in the middle as epigenetic marks, if you look at the entirety of this process from left to right as a cycle, it is the life cycle. And that life cycle actually references the cosmos as cosmic consciousness. So we have this interrelationship between cos cosmo cosmological consciousness as the laws of nature expressed in the cell over the, the iterative life cycles of that cell. And so we have a holistic way of understanding our existence vis-a-vis -vis the cosmos, which now entails all of the aspects we recognize, but not as a, not as a life being in this universe, in this place, but literally of it. So I refer to this as the beginning. Thank you very much. So uh, the, what you shared, the information about uh, how the human cell, human cell physiology mimics the properties of the cosmos. I think that's, that is where we need to focus because if we look at what is happening all across nations, I mean, if you look at the current you know, state of nations or the current state of individuals, uh, citizens, the patterns that we see, the systems that we see, the chaos that we see emerging, not only from the perspective of what we are witnessing in the human health, human physiology, but also the culture and you know communication and the political divide. And if you look at all the challenges that we are witnessing across nations between uh, liberals and conservatives, globalists versus nationalists, uh, all of them, if we try to evaluate from the perspective of the state of human cell and the physiology and compare it with the state of the cosmos, what relations do you see into especially about the state of the physiology of the cosmos that could be driving the patterns that we are witnessing in the human cells, in the human adaptation, human physiology and human evolution? What I think has transpired is that when, when life first began, <clears throat> It was constituted by what I referred to in the, uh, in the presentation as what I referred to as the first principles of physiology. So the, and the primary one is what Schrodinger expressed in his book, What is Life? Schrodinger, the physicist, said that uh, in his book published in 1944, that negative entropy was critically important for life. So in other words, mm -hmm. the ability to maintain a negative state of energy, if you will, was the base was basically what life is, but in saying so, the, the, it recognizes the fact that the entropy, the energy state outside of the cell, is a positive entropy state. So you start from an ambiguity. You have 
positive entropy on the outside of the cell, negative entropy on the inside of the cell. And so in order to cope with that ambiguity, as humankind evolved, we made up stories to cope with that ambiguity, not understanding our origins. So religion, myths, just storytelling in general. I mean, we're rife with that sort of thing. I maintain that up until this juncture, we didn't have enough information to understand our origins from a scientific perspective. And so we have been saddled with these myths and, and just so stories. Uh, uh, yeah. And so, but now, and the, and the basic lo um, logical problem is that we're reasoning from present to past. We're reasoning um, after the fact, which we know is illogical, but that's all we've had. However, now, as I've expressed it, and as I've discovered by reverse engineering the process, by looking at physiology and, and uh, the mechanisms of physiologic evolution um, as development and phylogeny, I, I've been able to work all the way back to the first cell using various, so I started with lungs because I'm a lung biology uh, biologist, you can do it with kidneys, brains, bones, every, every organ system will reduce to the unicellular state. And so then by looking at the process in the forward direction, as you might logically, you now see how these processes have evolved over space, space and time. And so we can understand logically how we've come to this, to this mm -hmm. junk. And no. so um, what I'm suggesting is not unlike uh, the realization that there was an origin to the cosmos when uh, Penzias um, uh, uh, discovered the, the redshift, the, the Doppler effect, which was the sci first scientific, scientific evidence that there actually was an origin for the, for the universe, for the cosmos. That was a total game changer in terms of, of uh, astrophysics and astrobiology, because up until that point, it was all descriptive work. But now, once you realize there's a beginning, you can recognize stellar evolution and how the cosmos has formed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing, I'm, I'm proposing the same thing for biology, because they're, inter they're intimately interrelated, the physics and the biology. The biology is really, a, in my opinion, I think that what we have evolved for as humans is to reconstitute a, a, a failing physics. So for example, we know that the sun is going to run out of energy at some point, several billion years from now, but we've, we've invented uh, fusion. So we know how to recapitulate the sun, for example, and we can use that for, for, to benefit. So there are ways in which we as, human, as humankind and as civilizations can actually self-perpetuate if we were to cooperate as we have as cells up from the beginning. But instead we see things as com competition <laughs> and which is a, a false premise. We, we didn't evolve through competition. We really evolved through cooper cooperation. The, the yes. competition is, a, is, a red, is really a red herring. It's not what we're all about. And, and fundamentally, I think that the error we make is thinking about ourselves materialistically. In reality, as Whitehead has said, we are really energy flows. It's, it's very obvious in embryology that that's true because what you see as you look from the fertilized egg through the various stages of embryogenesis, they're all energy transfers, literally. They're high energy phosphate transfers. And that then terminates in our physiology, which is the maintenance of the energetic state. And eventually we do die. 
we pass our genes on to the next generation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But by looking at the energy transfers, that's far more consistent with an Occam's razor, simple kind of understanding than materialism, which is really not what we're all about. But that's how we've um, evolved to think of ourselves. So we're, we're living under a false premise in reality. Right. No, I, I think your point that you made about the energy flow, and I have been thinking about that a lot, from especially from the perspective of entropy and negentropy and all that. Now, we also are at a point where there are many cultures, many uh, tribes or many uh, different uh, nations. They think of evolution of any individual from an ancestral, you know, gene per, uh, perspective. What I mean to try to say is that, you know, when you talked about the competition, right now we are so focused on competition, uh, even within the family, you know, with different individuals and outside the family and within a country and outside the country. And, you know, it, it's okay, whether the competition is about the cultural evolution, political ideology, or wealth, or technology development and transformation, there are so many different sources of competition emerging. Now, when we look at the evolution of any cell, when we look at the evolution of any human being, of you know, the genetic uh, uh, memory, the ancestral memory, all of those things come to play a role in the physiology of the evolution. Now, we are not focusing on understanding the physiological evolution of any individual from the perspective of that individual's personal ancestral uh, legacy. So for instance, how where I am going is entirely about what my ancestors, how far they have you know, evolved and what work they started, how, how much they were able to finish and what they could not finish. I have to carry forward and take it forward. That is my understanding of you know, the gene pool, the memory and the uh, memory you know, that is embedded into our genome and our ancestral energy that for you know drives us to do certain things you know within uh, our uh, uh, ancestral uh, heritage so there is not much understanding or appreciation of that evolution of you know the individual from that perspective we just don't think about that there are many tribes they still you know focus on that so mm what are your thoughts when you look at these you know the very uh, chaotic competitive landscape that we are witnessing and our lack of understanding of what actually is enlightenment what actually is carrying forward our own genetic legacy our ancestral legacies purpose and finish that purpose for us to you know have some sort of uh, balance with the cosmos and have how the cosmos plays a role in this. We don't see science focusing on that. We don't see the biologist or evolutionary biologist or you know physiologist, anyone focusing from that perspective that the competition is 
not between two individuals. The competition is not there at all. All we are trying to do is what our ancestors started. We are trying to finish that work, take it and you know take it forward and then finish it. So the what the chaos that we are witnessing right now in the world, if we have a true understanding of why we are on this earth, what is the role that we as an individual need to play in the stability of the cosmos, in the purpose of the cosmos? None of that, you know, we don't focus on that. Do you see that we need to focus on that so that we can have a better understanding of how to create systems, how to understand the world and how to have a peaceful coexistence, the symbiogenesis that you talked about. There is no need for conflict, but science doesn't focus on this. Well, I tried to explain. I mean, I've only, I was a, I've been a funded investigator for more than 50 years and only because I've been able to perpetuate experimental evidence uh, based upon hypotheses that you know are basically yes no answers um, and in the short term yes those are important to understand truth versus non-truth but in reality you have to eventually see a continuum because it isn't life is not about yes no answers that's that's a very short uh, short sighted kind of perspective i was thinking of the, the old a um, aphorism about you know think locally act globally if in fact our origin is in quantum mechanics and quantum entanglement, that's how gravity has worked locally to generate to uh, induce life, but it's referencing the gravity in the cosmos. So there's this you know local non-local kind of uh, dualism, if you will. Um, but but the point I wanted to make, and, and you make a very strong uh, point, uh, I fully agree with, is that. The primary attitude we take is that we're all survivors by definition. You can't argue with that. But the question is, for what, to what end? Uh, my laboratory does epigenetic research. And epigenetics, Lamarckian inheritance, which was dropped back in the, at the end of the 18th century because nobody could provide the experimental evidence for, is now burgeoning. So we know that there's direct, um, there's direct obtaining of information from the environment which is ever-changing by definition because the cause the universe is expanding. We know that. And therefore, that's a given. So when I think when I think about the mechanism of epigenetics, it's the ability of the phenotype of, of the individual to freely move in its environment, detect change, and then re re um, report that information biochemically back to the egg and sperm so that the offspring are then uh, it's sort of like insider trading, right? They, they, they're able to adapt efficiently because they know that there's stuff coming down the road that's going to threaten uh, our existence. That's how epigenetic uh, inheritance works. So what I'm saying, but what's implicit in that is the freedom to recognize change and to be able to do something about it as an individual. That's where the freedom comes in. So we're actually on a line of identity in our existence between, between determinism and, and probability. Uh, whereas the, con the conventional way of thinking now at this point is it's just probability, everything's probabilistic, whether it be the science or the, or, or the humanities because Darwinian evolution is so popular. Um, so we've actually deluded ourselves into thinking we've discovered the nature of life when in fact, it's just more um, just those stories. Um, and so to answer your question directly, 
we have to be able to uh, recognize the falsehoods that we have perpetuated. We're the only species on the planet that's destroying ourselves on the planet in the process. Mm -hmm. yes. I think that that's because we're the only species that knows that we that there that there is an end to life. No other species is aware of the fact that they're going to die. And the fact that we know that we're going to die makes us very neurotic because we have to do so much in a short period of time. When in reality, that's not the way that the, that the life cycle actually is functioning. It's not functioning as every individual being this entity with a beginning, a middle and an end. No, it's, not. It, it's, it's our capacity to trans. So for example, economics is usually thought of as supply and demand. That's not that's that's an epiphenomenon of energy flows. So if we were able to monitor energy flows to see where there are uh, uh, places where the energy is not flowing freely, we can we can affect that change through computerization of economic information, or education, for example, which is a real issue. Uh, education is not inculcation uh, with, uh, of, of children with the with the traditions of the culture. That's a that's very superficial. Education is the faithful transfer of energy from one generation to the next. Yes. That's what we should be doing, but we're not because yes. we're so hung up on position. Uh, you know, you have the, uh, the the mentor at the front of the room. The children sit in you know locks in, in in rows and they you know nod their heads up and down or you know side to side depending upon what they think the teacher wants them to say or or to behave like. That's not education. We've misunderstood our our entire existence, in my opinion. And again, you can't just quit your day job, okay? I mean, we, we have to survive. But I think if we if our if our goals and aspirations, our our vision and mission statement were to to be uh, rectified, to recognize what what our, our true meaning is as be, as human beings, I, I think we would be able to function a lot more effectively. Yes, I totally agree with that because see, I think we have deviated. We have never understood what is the true meaning of life. I mean, there's so much fear about the death that we actually forget to even understand what is the meaning of the, what is the purpose of this life and why we are here and what you just said about the energy flow. I think it's absolutely important because we, while we are trying to understand cosmos, to have an understanding that each one of us is our own universe that is made up of all our ancestors, all the genetic or ancestral uh, lineage that has, you know, driven the energy flow with its uh, genes and, you know, with its memory and unfinished task that comes to us. We need to focus on that. That's where our education need to focus on. That what is it that we are supposed to finish? All my life, I have had very strong feeling of, uh, that I'm supposed to do something and I'm quite not able to understand what that is. After my father passed away, I kept thinking about that, that there is something much bigger because of the pool that I had about, you know, understanding what it is that I'm supposed to finish in this lifetime. Recently, I came across, you know, someone who I uh, talked and so many of my questions were answered, you know, of that uh, chaos that I felt over the years. Now I have a lot of clarity on where I need to go and what I need to do. It is not about what others are doing or others, you know, where they are focusing on, what their success is. 
my purpose, my goal is to finish the task that my ancestors started. And, you know, that is where we need to recreate a different kind of education system, give a different kind of awareness to each and every individual that the true enlightenment, the true, you know, restoring of the knowledge of what actually is important in each of our lives will transform not only humanity, but it will transform our desires to explore the cosmos because we will understand. So there are billions of universes in our own planet. Each one of us is an entirely different universe. Once we understand that, and once we understand how all of that are interconnected, how all those energy flows are interconnected and how, what it means, not only for our human species, but for our planet and all other planets that we want to, you know, uh, cohabitate. There is a lot, very different kind of education that we need. And I hope that there is, a, you know, a growing desire to understand the new kind of knowledge that we need, the new kind of system that we need to build so that we can, you know, make some sense of our lives. But uh, it is just, you know, one small voice that I have. And I hope that experts like you who understands the physiology at cellular level and understand how it's connected with the physiology of cosmos can, you know, focus on this and, you know, bring some sort of uh, awareness Mm -hmm. that there is a need for looking at this in a different perspective. Having said that, what would you like to tell, you know, to our global viewers and listeners about where we need to focus and how we should go forward? Now you make many important points. I think the one salient feature that you did identify, this sense of something greater than ourselves, yes. is in fact because of our assimilation of factors in the environment. Um, so that basically the cosmos or those aspects of the cosmos that are relevant to each and every one of us is internalized, assimilated, and is our physiology. Um, and traditionally, that's thought of in terms of religion and um, you know, the, the traditions of uh, societies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, it's so, so when you merge two gene pools during the process of reproduction, you have no idea what that, the product of that is going to be. And in order for, for to maximize that individual, you know, us, we have to have freedom in order to maximize our, our genetically determined potential. But we're not doing that. We're, we're, our, our value system is misplaced in my opinion. And I, um, I don't like to sound like a mis misogynist, but, but that's the reality of the situation. And it's pretty clear at this juncture that we're systematically making it errors and somehow they have to be rectified. Um, and again, I've, I've provided scientific, a scientific basis to understand that, which is not my opinion, far from it. It's the, the, the data have led me to this conclusion. And in fact, the model actually is highly predictive, for example, of what the cell actually constitutes or what the phenotype is or what all these facets of the physiology and the biology that we've never, we've only accepted dogmatically as, well, I think the primary example is, why is it that we go back to the unicellular state through over the course of the life cycle? We never leave it. 
we have evolved in order uh, to maintain a, an approximation of the singularity that existed before the Big Bang. Because so in that sense, the cell, the unicellular state is omnipotent. omnipotent. It can either be homeostatic or it can be mitotic. It can divide or it can go through reduction division, meiosis. All of those features are determined by what's called the cytoskeleton that underlies the cell membrane. And we know that there's a set of genes. The target of rapamycin genes actually are connected to that cytoskeleton such that when it feels distortions, it will, it will adapt to the conditions in order to uh, maintain the, the cell in, an, in a homeostatic state. So all the features of the autonomy or what, uh, um, uh, what uh, Maturana and Varela were well recognized for, the self-organization and self-reference of the cell, they're all explainable now. We, know, we have the data. So I think it's very important that we um, exploit that. Certainly um, the advent of quantum computing, it's not being used for this purpose yet, but the, the basis for quantum um, computing, for example, is not a binary one zero of conventional computing, it's a qubit. And what a qubit is, is what I just described for the cell. So we actually have uh, a technology that could actually advance our understanding of ourselves through, that, through uh, quantum computing, for example. But I'll leave it at that. There are ways we can, if we only were to hold a mirror up to ourselves and <laughs> recognize who we really are and what our purpose is. As you were saying earlier, materialism is very unsatisfactory. I don't think that anybody with, with all the toys in the world is, is self-satisfied. You always need more. Yes. Whereas energy flows um, are very different. They do provide self-satisfaction. You feel good. Uh, you know, the old adage about it's, it's better to give than to receive. That makes it's not it's it's counterintuitive to materialism because it's not materialism is not that it's it's the energy flows that are important. Yeah, mm -hmm. again, we we usually talk about those things in mystical and uh, meta um, ways, which are um, intangible. But I, but um, what I'm trying to provide is exper experimental evidence that in fact it's real. It's not imagination. Yes. It's it's demonstrable. It's testable. It's it's provable. It's you know all those things. Right. Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. Why not give it a shot <laughs> before it's too late? No, very true. I mean, we do need to know where we came from to know where we are going, right? I mean, you okay. cannot connect the dots. You cannot understand the flow of energy without understanding, without connecting all the dots. So I hope that um, our small voice can make a difference from that perspective. So thank you so much, Professor Tordi. For participating in this roundup today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, definitely. So my pleasure and my honor. So we appreciate your thoughtful insight into the need for age of reason. And even beyond that, you know, not just the reason, but the need for having a deeper understanding of where we come from and where we need to go so that we can establish that homeostasis that we that you talked about you know and the energy flow the for the evolution uh, of the not only the only the human cells and humans but for the entire cosmos of our global viewers and listeners i'm sure would benefit tremendously from what you had to say today and as a result this discount dialogue has been of service we thank you for that
Thank you. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. And through the Risk Roundup initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a billion people uh, that could be innovators, scientists, entrepreneurs, futurists, technologists, policymakers, decision makers. This effort through the Risk Roundup initiative is to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk facing humanity. This collective intelligence effort is essential to understanding where we need to focus on our uh, collective security and what destructive forces we need to be mindful about. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.